Eufy is sponsoring today's video. They reached out to me. I tested out their video lock. It is a game changer. I'm going to paint a picture for you for why I'm so excited to work with them. So you're getting home. Your arms are loaded with groceries or packages or boxes or everything. And your keys are in your pocket. This drives me nuts. This happens all the time. I upgraded to the Eufy video lock. Fingerprint tap i'm inside and honestly i also feel way safer it's got this awesome built-in camera so whether it's a package delivery or late night uber order i see exactly who's there right from my phone there are no more mystery knocks and the best part this thing was such a breeze to set up there's no wires there's no drilling uh, there's also no monthly subscription fees so if you are done fumbling with your keys because i definitely am search for eufy video lock or head over to eufyofficial.com slash video lock your front door, your sanity. Welcome to the Success Story Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Clary. On this podcast, I have candid interviews with execs, celebrities, politicians, and other notable figures, all who have achieved success through both wins and losses, to learn more about their life, their ideas, and their insights. I sit down with leaders and mentors and unpack their story to help pass those lessons on to others through both experiences and tactical strategy for business professionals, entrepreneurs, and everyone in between. Without further ado, another episode of the Success Story Podcast. So today on the Success Story Podcast, I have Scott Telema, who is a FBI-trained hostage negotiator and a full-time police lieutenant in the Chicago area. He is a recognized thought leader in the field of police crisis and hostage negotiation, uh, actively training uh, and working with police negotiators across the country. Um, Scott has developed a model for hostage negotiation, which is now being adapted for the use of private sector, sales, communication, leadership. Um, and Scott, as an individual, is very impressive. He speaks both domestically uh, in the States and internationally um, on this topic, uh, communication, uh, negotiation, and leadership as well. And he was also uh, done, or he has done, a TED Talk on the same on the same subject matter that's been viewed millions of times. Um, he's known for giving dynamic keynotes and connects with his audiences, uh, teaching attendees how they can negotiate under pressure and really just bringing value to their personal and professional lives through communication and negotiation. So thank you very much, Scott, for, for sitting down. I'm really excited to speak to you because um, I think that the perspective you bring to the table is gonna be very interesting. So thank you. Hi, Scott. It is a pleasure to be with you on Success Story Podcast. Thank you for having me today. No, it's my pleasure. And uh, outside of the 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 <laughs> the 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 joke that I want to make about you having uh, a great name and all that stuff, um, it's great to speak to another Scott. But uh, I want to give a little bit of uh, context as to why I was excited about this. So, um, I'm I work in sales and I work in tech. Um, but my family, uh, and Scott, you don't know this, but my family has traditionally always been in law enforcement. So I'm actually kind of the black sheep. So I'm in Toronto and uh, my father, uh, my grandfather and my uncle were all um, active duty RCMP when they were still working. Um, so uh, they've, all, they've all been inv heavily involved in, in law enforcement and, and incredible respect um, to what you're doing. Uh, but I understand that uh, not to the same extent you do, obviously, but I understand the, the pressure and the stress that they have gone through throughout their careers. Um, and I'm sure that you've probably dealt with similar uh, circumstances and whatnot. So I guess what I would love to know is sort of your origin story and unpack 
how you or why you decided to first of all uh, become a law enforcement professional, and then uh, and then let's go from there as to what you're doing over the course of your career and how you came to where you are right now. Sure, this is going to be exciting for your listeners because I've tuned into a few of your podcasts and you have on business leaders, well um, known and respected business leaders. And, uh, and today you have someone who doesn't know anything about business. So this is going to be a wild little adventure for I your listeners it. here today. <laughs> so this is going to be fun. Um, I kind of have the opposite story. I, uh, my, my parents are not uh, law enforcement, and I had uh, five roommates in undergrad at the University of Wisconsin, and they all got into business school, and I was the one who wasn't smart enough to get into business school, so I had to find something else to do for a career. So here I am as a police officer 18 years later. That's lovely. So like when you first went into law enforcement, um, did you have a specific branch that you were looking to get into? Or was it just like that was the job that you took on and you sort of fell in love with it uh, as you became more immersed in it? Well, my background, my undergraduate degree is in behavioral science. And I later went on and got a master's degree in psychology. So I always had an interest in people and understanding how people think and why they do the things they do. And as I spent some time, my first couple of years in law enforcement, you know, initially you first try to learn the job and it's, it's complex. There's a lot of different aspects to it, but I always knew that I wanted to do something that really gets in the minds of people. And I was uh, lucky to have spent five and a half years working as a detective. And what I really wanted to do was get into hostage negotiation. And I uh, live in the wor work in the Chicago area. And I found that at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, they had a master's level class in hostage negotiation. I thought, man, that would be really, really cool to get in that class. And I wanted to audit the class or sit in. And um, I couldn't do that without being in a program. So I finally uh, made the decision and commitment to go back to school to get my uh, master's in psychology to learn a little bit more about this. And it was shortly after I went to school for psychology that I interviewed to get on a regional SWAT team that serves uh, 1.8 million people in the Chicago area and 70 different agencies um, throughout the Chicagoland area. And uh, I was very lucky to get selected to be um, one of a number of hostage and crisis negotiators on this uh, SWAT team and uh, was very lucky to have that assignment for about seven and a half years. Beautiful. Okay. So after, after you had that assignment, um, obviously the training that you have, uh, that you've accumulated over the course of your career um, has led you to obviously speak about hostage negotiation. Um, right. When did that, when did that, you know, light bulb uh, turn on that there was more to uh, the skill sets that you had uh, outside of just the practical use case that you found yourself using them every day and there could be some overlap to other other you know business or even I'm sure relationships and whatnot in terms of uh, crisis negotiation yeah I when I came off the team it was because I got promoted with my own agency so I still had the desire to be a police negotiator a hostage negotiator but uh, when I was taken off the team, I figured, you know, how can I still stay active? How can I stay involved? And I started um, teaching that for police officers throughout the Chicago area. And, and it was strictly for law enforcement. I had no um, training or knowledge beyond strictly negotiation within the police realm. And it was in late 2016 that uh, an organizer uh, of TEDx Naperville, a uh, Chicago area suburb, had reached out to me and said, hey, look, we're putting together a TED conference in the Chicago area, and we understand that you teach hostage negotiation. 
And he pitched the idea to me. He's like, you know, I think that you could bring value in how to, um, you know, teach society how to have um, an argument and how to have a conversation. Because the context of this, this was right during the um, presidential election with Trump and Clinton. And their thought was, you know, everybody in society is so angry and they and they keep fighting with each other and nobody knows how to listen and, and have a thoughtful dialogue. We want someone to come on and share some principles and some perspectives on how to do this. And the thought was, you know, we were going to have the election and everything was going to get back to normal and everybody would be happy again and, and things would be good. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, that, that things have progressively gotten worse, you know, <laughs> yes. certainly throughout the United States and, and across the world that, that were even more polarized. So the talk that I gave um, for TEDx Neighborville back in, in 2016, I think is still relevant today in that I was just sharing a couple principles and how we communicate with each other, how we can influence each, each other, how we can, um, you know, re- really yeah. have that, that deeper empathy of somebody else. So as people would start to listen to this, I, I would get people reaching out and saying, hey, would you be interested in talking to this group or that group? So I've been lucky to have been invited to not only police hostage negotiation conferences uh, across the country, but to speak from groups uh, such as, you know, churches to um, businesses in in Switzerland and Germany throughout the U.S. uh, just saying, hey, bring this concept to us because it's it's familiar enough in that it makes sense that we can use it. But yet it's different from what we're used to hearing in standard business training. So the the TEDx uh, conversation was was sort of like your um, initiation into into this into this world of speaking to other parties outside of what you had already known. So you had never done any sort of um, discussions or chats about like negotiation outside the scope of law enforcement until the TEDx, and that's sort of what kicked off like uh, all the, the like the conversations, the speeches, the the you know the the keynotes that you've given over over your career. Correct. Right. Okay. I'm, I'm doing this completely backwards because yeah. <laughs> all of the professional speakers, they, they work and, and you can see it uh, just that through LinkedIn and through the different courses and, and the different training that people work to get to the TEDx stage. And um, and truly, I think I was a, a last minute fill in because they didn't reach out to me until about six or seven weeks before this event that they pitched it. So with with no background in public speaking and no formal training at all and and no education outside of the police world you know i kind of slapped this together in in the course of six or seven weeks and and this was kind of my audition and and my my first real run at doing any kind of public speaking so it's it's a little bit backwards in that most people work up to this and i kind of use this to start from and now i'm kind of growing into different areas and from but, that, I, I've gotten some great opportunities, and, and uh, I, I like getting into um, executive education to learn a little bit more about business and about negotiation. I've attended um, Harvard Executive Education recently, uh, IMD Business School in Europe uh, last fall, and it's great to sit in. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show, and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. 
Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works, one data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, through to April 15th, NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink 
what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay. And what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch US-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text success, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. A room with 300 top-level business executives and have a conversation with them and say, I know nothing about what you do. And absolutely mean it and then still be intriguing enough that I might be able to bring value to the conversation. Um, I think that the, your, your insights and, and perspective and lens that you look at uh, conflict resolution and just communication is very valuable uh, for executives in particular, just because it's, I think it's sometimes hard to see the forest through the trees for some of these people. So when they have a fresh perspective like this, that's probably where you actually provide the most insight because of the track that you took and you didn't actually build up to this, but it sort of became uh, almost not accident is very, it's putting it far too lightly, but it, you know, it's, it wasn't something that was planned ahead of time and it wasn't part of your career trajectory, but um, the fact that you've done it. And now I think that's what sort of made you so valuable because um, when, when we speak about business, I think that the, the parallels are evident, but let's, okay. So let's speak about, and obviously this has been a successful Ted, uh, Ted talk because I think it's like, you know, in the millions of views, um, so let's speak about the, the, the high level theme, um, that, that was sort of, I guess, I don't know if this was like the title of the Ted talk, but, um, the, the theme that I pulled out of this and that I've seen sort of listed in line with this Ted talk is, can you have a productive conversation with someone when you both disagree? That was like the, the, the overarching theme for the mm -hmm. Ted talk. Okay. So yeah. How, okay. And, so and let's answer that. Yeah. With this, I, I try to also frame it that it's it's more than just 
me and you having a conversation because it's really easy for you and I to talk when we're sitting on the couch or we're hanging out and having a drink. Yeah. But it becomes very, very different when we introduce that level of stress. And that's and that's very similar, whether it be in policing or business negotiations or sales, marketing. There's a level of stress because there's something on the line. So under that context is how I tried to frame this out to say it's not your everyday conversation that under pressure, under stress, you need to do this. And this is why it works. I even find that, you know, I do a lot of the I don't want to go too much off on a tangent. But when I do these podcasts, I find that the second um, uh, and like I've done, I don't know, about 30 of these podcasts now, and I'm not like a, a podcast expert, but even I, the second you start interviewing someone, the dynamic of the conversation, the, the whole conversation changes. And I found that it's it's as subtle as. You know, I call somebody on on Skype now because we can't really do anything face to face, but you call somebody on Skype and you're having a very like casual conversation ahead of time and it's flowing so easily. And then the second it's like a, a formal interview, um, I find that people, they, they start to freeze up and not everybody, but um, it's like the communication becomes a little bit more uh, like rigid. And I don't know if that's just because if people feel like they're under pressure or they have to say the right thing. And I think that I've, I've always personally tried to like steer away from that in the conversations um, because I think that leads to like, like a, almost like a robotic back and forth. But I've noticed that like I've noticed like and this is like nothing to even come close to what you deal with. But like it's still like a, a level of pressure that's outside of the norm for most people. That's the truth. And, and I teach people that because of this and, and if you haven't done these high-level negotiations or these high-level conversations, it's very, very different. And under pressure, we we lose some ability to do things that are, are pretty normal for us to do. And we, we lose our ability to empathize. I mean, take what's going on right now with the, the COVID-19 coronavirus going on everywhere. We're in self-preservation mode. We think, how can I care for my own physical needs? How can I care for my own emotional needs right now? And people are starting to realize that under pressure, we behave differently. So that's why when I teach this, I make it very, very simple. I mean, there are whole books dedicated to hostage negotiation, whole books on communication. And I'm able to break this down and say, I just want you to remember four words. And this is understanding, timing, delivery, and respect. And we can take these four words and break them into a one sentence principle and break that into as, as deep as we can go and as much as you can remember. But when it becomes time for that big conversation, for, for when it matters most, at least have a framework, a flexible framework that you can use to guide you when you're nervous, when you're under pressure, when you have to make a decision to know this is the roadmap I need to follow. And within that, I've got a lot of flexibility to help me get to where I need to go with the specific person or group that I'm working with. So, so I want to unpack that a little bit, but I do want to start, I want to start with that higher level theme. So how do you have, is that, is that, so to say, to have a productive conversation with someone um, under pressure is, is that framework, but when to have a productive conversation with someone, when you both disagree, is, that doesn't always have to be like a, a high pressure situation. So let's just start with the, that piece. And then let's take a productive conversation with someone who you're disagreeing with, then under pressure. So how do you at first have a productive conversation with someone when you're not agreeing on a point? But it could be casual, but you still sure. want to get and, your way. And, and that's, that's the first principle I talk about, understand. And we, we've become really adverse to listening to someone else. And this starts with having the mindset that you are willing 
to tolerate and listen to a point that's different from your, your own. And when I mean listen to it, I mean thoughtfully working to understand what they believe by asking questions and exploring what they're saying and how they're saying it to, to have an appreciation for who they are. And I think that we as a society have really become afraid of this to say, I'm not going to listen to your point of view because if I listen to it, I'm afraid that I might have to believe it or accept it. We have this fear that we might have to change, that we, we might have to break out of what we know and what we believe. So to have an open mind and come in with, with a blank slate to say, you know what, help me understand you and make it not about yourself. Make it, it's not about me, it's about you. To be thoughtful and, and asking these engaging questions. And then, you know, at maybe a higher level, studying their expressions, micro expressions, body language. So you can do some behavioral analysis to see, you know, do we have some um, deception in here or is this all legit? Is everything pretty consistent? So the very first step, not under pressure, is let's let's take time to, number one, give someone our attention, put down your phone, put down the computer, quit multitasking and give them your uh, complete attention and, and be interested in that. And rarely, rarely do we see this in society anymore. Why outside, like, why is there such an aversion to, because I think the root cause of this, like you mentioned, is for people to not want to accept or, or fear of ex having to open up their mind to other opinions. I, I don't know the answer to this. This is probably a much more deeper, you know, higher level philosophical conversation. But do you have a, a, an opinion as to why people um, have such an aversion to that? I think it's because people don't want to admit that we don't know as much as we think we do. It, it's much more comfortable to have a, a certain base level knowledge about something and say, well, I believe this and I formed an opinion based on a, a very small amount of knowledge. And it's really a lot more easy to feel something than it is to truly think about something and learn and analyze and come up with a thoughtful opinion and position on whatever issue it is. And people don't like to be challenged. We don't like to feel that uncertainty. You, we're afraid of being embarrassed. We're in, afraid of you know, saying, you know what, I just don't know the answer to this. I'm not sure why I feel like this. I'm not sure where I learned this piece of information. So none of us really want to have to defend what we know or what we believe. So I think that that's a big piece in why we're not willing to really engage someone in a, a thoughtful conversation. We, we don't want to say, you know what, I, I don't know that. And, you know, what you're saying does make sense. Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily have to agree with it. But what you're saying has a lot of merit. And maybe that's something that I need to consider. Now, that's that's funny because um, that that's essentially saying the key to winning an argument, if you know winning, I put that term in quotations and air quotes, the key to winning an argument is actually allowing yourself to know that you could be wrong because you cannot understand someone if that's the case, if you aren't willing to open up to them. And you're saying that's the basic uh, that's the basic premise of, of getting what you'd like. You have to be able to understand someone and make them feel heard. Is that more or less correct? Right, absolutely. Yes. And from a negotiation standpoint, how can I solve a problem if I don't know what it is? Mm -hmm. I think one of the killer lines in, in any discussion is, well, I understand. No, you don't understand. And even if you think you understand by saying, well, I understand, you're really invalidating that person. It's it's an insensitive thing to say and really is going to get them to shut down to say, 
how can you possibly understand? I've just shared with you a couple sentences about my life. How can you come back to me and say, well, I understand your situation. Now, if you have some similarities, if you have um, something that, that you can share with them, then try and figure out that timing piece and figure out, you know, at what point would it be right for me to say, you know what, I've had a similar uh, experience. Let me share this with you. So that the second, the second big piece of, of timing is trying to get right of when, when it is your time to share with them that maybe you have an understanding or at least an interest in what they have to say. So how do you, how do you map out when that, so the first piece is understand. So that's, that's right. one that we just sort of went into. So the second piece is timing you're saying. So how do we, how do we understand when that timing is? What's the threshold for understanding enough? <clears throat> well, for me, timing, like this is the strategy piece for me. And it's, it's not always about tactics at the table. I think that your power in negotiation comes from information and options. So I'm trying to grow the information that I have. And in a conversation with somebody, that could be you know just listening one-on-one. -on -one. But when we're doing a, a high-level police negotiation, I'm working with an entire team. So I've got people behind me, behind the scenes, that are digging every piece of information they can on this person. And that should absolutely be happening in business negotiations as well to get information because that's going to put you in a stronger position. The same with options. The more options I can grow on my side and the more options that I can take away from the other side is really going to put me in, in a much more powerful position to say, now I'm going to introduce an idea or a thought for your consideration. So I think that it's, it's really kind of a, a balance of once I, I've gathered a good amount of information about the, the situation, I've asked a number of questions and my open-ended questions are not um, really yielding a whole lot of new information. Um, anything that I can inquire from expressions that I see, anything that I can inquire from body language that, that I might be able to you know, dip my toe into a question about, hey, I, I get the sense that you're a little bit uncomfortable when you talk about this particular area. And I'm not, I'm not sure that you can ever run out of good questions to ask, but uh, the questions, they, they become more narrow. They, I think they should work from open-ended questions and, and become a little bit more focused um, as you go on. But I think that it's, it's really going to come from the experience of, of understanding that I've gotten some good information, I have a number of different options that I can use, and, and now I'm in a good position to start um, implementing a good strategy of, of when I'm going to deliver uh, my message. I love it. And like when you're, if you're listening, um, and I'm sure now you can pick up on as you, as you say these things, like the, the, the hallmarks of a successful sales negotiation or business negotiation are very, like they're very apparent. Like you can draw the parallels quite easily, um, in terms of doing discovery for uh, understanding how to sell something or to, to bring a product to a customer, understanding the pain points a customer has, doing as much, much research, um, ahead of time. It, it, it all, it all lines up very, but you know, um, I think that there's other things like you mentioned, like in the communication, not just the strategy, but the actual way that you communicate to an individual that can be brought out from what you're discussing that can be very useful in, in any negotiation. Um, now you mentioned, sorry, I apologize. I don't have a pen on me, so I didn't write this down. But you mentioned four things. So you mentioned understand, right. then you mentioned time. Understanding, timing, yeah. and then delivery and respect. So you led into okay. the third principle perfectly to talk about how we are going to present that. So when I talk about delivery, really, when, when you get into uh, a negotiation or you're going to have these high-level conversations, so much of this goes 
toward your, your preparation, how much preparation you put into it. And I think the good negotiators take time to prepare, um, but really most people stop at the content. We prepare the content of what it is we are going to present, what it is we want to say, what our talking points are going to be, but nobody ever gives consideration to how we are going to present that. And this, these are tactics at the table, and this is where police negotiators are exceptional. Very, very good at how to deliver the message. And, and I can break this down into a, a couple different areas, the rate, the rhythm, the pressure, the volume, and the tone. These five different areas are the areas that we can really give thoughtful um, consideration to when we're delivering the message. And in police negotiation, I'm very lucky that when I've been the primary negotiator, I have a coach right at my side that can give me real-time feedback into not only what I'm saying, but how I'm saying it. And I'm not exactly sure how you can do that in the business world if truly you're at the table having a negotiation, but having a coach there to think, to guide you and think through the rate, the rhythm, the pressure, the volume, and the tone of what you're saying is going to is going to create a feeling on the other side. And truly, we want to create a, a positive emotion to help them be in a good spot where they can make thoughtful decisions. Because a lot of times in my work, when we're dealing with someone who's in crisis, who's suicidal, they're way up or way down or all over the emotional scale. And we want to get them in a very comfortable groove where they don't have to worry about, hey, I'm going to yell at them. It's going to be some kind of surprise that every time they engage with me, it's going to be a, a very, very comfortable feeling that they get when, when they start talking with me. And with that, I hope that I can solicit more information and hope to get them to be more agreeable to me, to get them to like me, because that's what's going to give me the influence that I need to get to the resolution for where I want to go. Now, I understand everything you're saying. It makes a lot of sense because um, I've I've also listened to to podcasts with another uh, another individual who does this. So Chris Voss, if you're in this mm -hmm. world, you've heard his content before, and he speaks about like the late night FM DJ voice when you're yeah. when you're trying to get what you like. Is that something that is like a, a known in the in the hostage negotiation crisis negotiation world? Absolutely. Exactly. It's, it, okay. it goes along the lines of how are you saying this? And part of that is taking your rate and slowing it down a little bit and maybe dropping the volume a little bit. And studies show that the, the lower the voice, the more authority one is perceived to have. So you take some of these scientifically proven pieces and put them into play that when I'm talking with you and I'm talking about teaching and sharing about negotiation, I get excited. I know mm -hmm. that my my rate is a little bit too fast. I know that my my cadence is sometimes not always um, very steady because I want to talk about this. Now let's talk about this over here, and now we're going down here. But when we get into this type of discussion, you get a little bit slower, you get a little bit softer, get a little bit lower, and that is it's really working the mind of the other person to get them. In, in a better place where they can think and make better decisions. And that's ultimately what we want. I just want someone to come to an agreement with me. And, and that's really what negotiation is, that we can come to agreement, that maybe you don't have to change your, your beliefs. Maybe you don't have to, to change anything. We just have to get to uh, a position where you and I can each move forward on, on a particular thing. But yes, absolutely, Chris Voss, a very, very well-respected um, leader in this field, uh, without question. Now, do you notice that uh, 
after a certain amount, because I noticed this, um, when I'm first jumping on the phone with somebody for the first time and I've never spoken to them before, I definitely speak a little bit quicker. But once I get to know them and once I understand how to communicate with them, or at least I think I can understand how to communicate with them and how they like being communicated to, I find that I have an easier time slowing my own self down and, and talking with a little bit more of a cadence, uh, kind of like what you're discussing. Um, is that... Is that like the the end result? Like, is that the desired objective to sort of get somebody on the same wavelength as you, or communicate on the same wavelength as them? Like, what? Is, how do you sort of bring them and you sort of meet so that you're in sync with that person? Because I assume that would be an important an important point. If you're For talking sure. somebody, you know, uh, metaphorically off the ledge or or whatnot, you're you're trying to you're trying to get them to calm down and slow down. So, is that something that's built into this this speaking cadence? Right, and and we literally. Are, are talking people down from yeah. the ledge. I didn't and want to say, we, say and, that, but yeah. And, and we mirror each other. Yeah. In, in conversation, we, we mirror each other from what we hear. And we and you'll find that it's really, really hard to keep yelling at me when I'm very, very calm. People are looking for that fight. They're looking for you to bring it up a notch and, and get a little bit more angry because we, we feed off each other when we get louder. It's very, very tough if I decide I'm going to go a little bit more quietly on my body. Mm -hmm. And just because I'm speaking softly doesn't mean I'm not speaking with strength. And you go a little bit lower, and then it's going to force them to listen a little bit harder to you. Just, just physically, we have to listen harder because you're a little bit more quiet. And with that, now you're tricking your brain into thinking, man, I'm really listening hard, so this must be something that I care about or want to pay attention to. And that is really getting yourself in the next piece to have that influence over that person to get to where you want to go. We're just going to take a quick break and we're going to speak about our sponsor for this week's episode of the Success Story podcast, The Good Lovin' Bar. Now, let's be honest, we're all quarantined at home right now. This is very topical. Um, and The Good Lovin' Bar has released uh, a snack that is very appropriate for the times. When we're stuck at home, uh, we don't have as many, you know, we're not as active. We don't have the ability to go to the gym. Uh, we're not even walking around as much. We don't have a commute. So a lot of us are unfortunately putting on weight. We're perhaps not eating as healthy, uh, making a few too many trips to the fridge. Um, and eventually, when all of this is over and said and done, we will be emerging from our homes back into the world like hibernating bears, except instead of sleeping through the winter, all we've been doing is staying at home and eating a little bit too much. And uh, even if we haven't eaten that much, we still want to maintain our healthy physique, our healthy shape, our healthy weight. So for all of us who are looking to either lose weight before uh, you know the world turns back to normal, or uh, perhaps they just want to maintain a healthy lifestyle. Many people look to keto to help shed uh, quarantine pounds. I'm a big fan of keto. I've used keto in the past. I'm actually on keto right now. It helps me maintain my weight when I'm not as active. Uh, it helps me maintain mental focus and clarity and high energy levels. Um, keto is a very, very popular way to lose weight without sacrificing a lot of the really uh, delicious foods that we all love. 
And the Good Lovin' Bar is the number one certified organic keto protein bar in retail and online. And they're number one for a variety of reasons. Uh, they're the best plant-based. Uh, they have organic ingredients. Uh, the best taste, which is super important whenever you're dieting with flavors like chocolate dipped strawberry, chocolate coconut, peanut butter brownie, and the best customer service that always makes me smile. Um, you can try them out right now by visiting www.thegoodlovinbar.com. Put together a multi-flavor order and get 25% off by, by using my name, Scott, as a promo code when you check out. So remember, when you're checking out, you get 25% off if you use my name, Scott, as a promo code. And if you reach $50, you will get free shipping anywhere in the U.S. That's Good Lovin' Bar, so T-H-E-G-O-O-D-L-O-V-I-N-B-A-R.com and get 25% off your first order for using my name as a promo code. They guarantee you will be loving the Good Lovin' Bar and you'll also love how healthy and in shape you maintain your body, your physique, your lifestyle, as we're all stuck at home. Anyways, that's it for this week's sponsor, The Good Love and Bar. Now I have one more point that that I've sort of been um, taught over. I, I've taken like some executive courses at universities over my careers, and they speak about um, they speak about individuals communicate differently. So there's some people that are, I think, in the sales world, they're categorized by color spectrum, which is there's like a red a red personality, a blue personality, a yellow personality, a green personality. Um, and I don't know what those actually correlate to. I'm sure there's some, you know, much more uh, probably prolific psychological principle, but it's like the reds are aggressive and they speak this way and then the yellows are a little bit more logical. I can't remember exactly, but is that something that you tie into how you communicate with somebody effectively? Is that You have is, to. And, okay. and that's why we start with understanding to say, I can't go into this with, this is Scott's communication style and this is just how I do it. And you're either with me or you're not. I think that's that's, really putting yourself in a bad position. I need to communicate with someone in a way that they are very comfortable. And I learned this as a detective. Um, when I was a, a young detective, I remember going into to do uh, an interrogation and my partner was a, a much more seasoned detective. And as a young detective, you know, I, I watched all the same cop shows that everybody else watched. So I had my nice white shirt and tie I look nice because that's what they do in the movies and that's what they do on TV. And my partner, he had on some kind of collared shirt and he took it off and he was down to his T-shirt. It was a white T-shirt probably at one time with some yellow stains on it. And it looked, it looked like a, a, a bum. And I said, what are you doing? And he goes, I'm going to go in there and I'm going to get a statement from this guy. And he was thinking about how can I connect with this guy where he's at? And I'm thinking about, I want to do it my way or what I believe would be the right way. And, and the big takeaway here is meet these people where they're at. And sometimes you, you need to up your game and put on the shirt and tie and put on the suit and, and, and meet them there. And sometimes it's, hey, let's, let's meet over a beer and, and have a, a very casual conversation. So in the end, with the communication, it's not about you. And a successful communicator has to have all these tools available that they can very quickly adapt to what's going on and find out what's working and continue down that road. 
And then the last point that you had brought up was respect. And I can see right. how once, once all of this is done properly, is the respect, does that come naturally? Or is that something that you still have to, because like, like, it seems like if you do all these things, that almost should lead to a certain level of respect with the individual because you're putting so much time and attention into the way you deliver and the way you communicate and the words you use and the tone and the, and the cadence. So what, what is the respect piece outside of just delivering everything to the best of your ability for the first three? For me, respect is about emotion. And a lot of people believe that we make decisions based on thought and reason and being rational. And I think that that's, that doesn't play nearly as much into how we make decisions as people might think. So when I talk about respect, of course, we're going to be polite in how we deliver this. But think about how we can foster these emotions. And it's not about wanting to be understood. Instead, I want to create the freedom and the autonomy for the person I'm talking with to make their own decisions. Because if I force them into a yes or no answer, how am I ever going to get them to go through with this? If this is in, in a, a, a police negotiation, they might say yes just to get me to go away a little bit, but how am I then going to get them to get off the couch, put the gun down, and come out of the house? or come out of the room, or whatever. And the same thing in business negotiations, how are you going to get them to go through with this and do their very best to hold up their end of the deal so you get the best product, the best agreement, however that, that negotiation is working out. So I think about two big emotional triggers that I always wanna keep at the forefront of my mind when I'm having a, a negotiation or a conversation with somebody, and that's gonna be autonomy and fairness. In in police negotiations, in an effort to um, limit the options of the other side, you'll see a, a SWAT team surround a house. You'll see a lot of officers kind of lock down an area so this person's not free to leave. You have the, the flight, the freeze, and when you take away the flight where they can't get out of there, now they're, they're limited in, in what their options are. And I think how, how terrible is that for somebody who is used to being in control? They're used to having all the freedom in the world, and we've just taken that away from them. How do we respect their autonomy and their freedom and, and still respect them as a person? So I always want to present this with options. I'm never going to tell them, you need to do this. Nobody likes to be told what to do in any context. But if I can phrase it in a question, hey, when you come out, would you prefer to come out the back door or the side door? Now, for me, it might all be the same. It doesn't matter. Um, perhaps the, the uh, operational tactical team will want them out one side or another. But if I can give them that little bit of freedom and that little bit of choice and influence over their own life, that goes a long way for, for, their, for them to feel respected. Because, hey, this person respects my autonomy. I'm still in control. I made this decision for myself and not someone else. And then the second big emotional trigger that I always try to work with is the fairness piece. We don't like being treated unfairly. And no matter what it is, if we feel we're treated unfairly, we're going to stay with this and it's going to bother us for a good long time. One example that I'm going through right now, I bought some batteries from a major battery manufacturer and there's a $5 rebate that you get. And this is, these are the biggest scams on earth, these rebate things. <laughs> So this battery company owes me five bucks and right, and this was months ago. 
And I've sent emails and emails and you think, what is $5 of your time? What is your peace of mind? But this is stuck on me because I feel I haven't been treated fairly. So I think through the logic of why, why are you wasting your time, your email, your thought? Why does this even come across your mind? Simple, it's not fair. So what I teach people is this. A great line that I like to use in negotiation is, is really, really simple. And I tell them, and not even in negotiation, as, as a supervisor in the police world, I've used this many times with great success. When you're dealing with somebody who might be upset for a variety of reasons, you say, you know what? One thing that I can assure you is that I'm going to treat you fairly. And if at any point in this conversation you feel that I'm treating you unfairly, I want you to stop me right then and we're going to fix it right away. And what a great empowering thing to say to someone and what a very empowering thing to hear. Maybe you don't have influence over the final outcome, but if you feel you've been treated fairly in the process and that you had some autonomy and some freedom and some input toward the final result, you're going to be fully on board with the result, whatever it might be. I like that a lot. Um, I really, really like that statement. That's something that I think in a business negotiation or even um, not even trying to, cl like cl I think business and like close a deal, but think about all the times you're dealing with upset individuals in a business negotiation. Yes. Yeah, that would, that's very, very empowering. Employees, uh, you know, customers. Um, there's so, uh, you know, even now, actually, this is a, this is a question that I want to ask. Um, I think about this for relationships. So not everybody here is in the position in a business where they're dealing with, you know, uh, very difficult communication. Well, I think actually to be quite honest, at some point in everybody's career, they'll have to speak or negotiate with the boss about something uncomfortable or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a peer or a coworker or a customer doesn't matter, but let's take it a step back, say, you know, maybe not in the business, even in a relationship. Is this something, uh, if you're trying to discuss something with your spouse, um, is this something that you can use or does it seem too robotic? Uh, if you said no, something this, like that, this, this is it. This makes sense. And I, I think that most spouses of trained police negotiators know what's coming when when I go to, <laughs> say, emotion labeling. Oh, you sound really upset. They know what's coming. They know that I'm trying to label the emotion. My wife doesn't like that one bit. So after a while, when you have somebody who knows some of these techniques, maybe they're not as um, as useful all the time. But I think back. In, in every time I have uh, a problem in, in my relationship with, with my wife, which like everybody else, I'm sure is, is frequent, mm -hmm. you think back to which one of these areas has gone wrong. Did, did I not take time to understand what she was saying? Was the timing bad? Am I watching a football game right now and she's telling me, hey, you need to go out and do this? The timing's wrong. Well, that's why that failed. You asked me to take the garbage out right as they were going fourth on fourth down. I didn't hear anything you had to say. The timing was wrong. The delivery. I get in trouble, not because I, I asked for this to happen, but hey, you you said it rude. You didn't say it politely. You didn't you sounded upset. So it's a delivery fail. And then the, the respect, this is a big autonomy violation saying, you know, I'm I'm asking the kids to do something and she can jump in and say, no, nope, we're we're doing it like this. All right, why am I upset? It's a respect thing. It's an uh, autonomy violation. So anybody in any relationship I want your, your listeners to take this and take these four areas and say, every time something goes wrong, whether it be your personal relationship, internal communication at work, problem with a, a sale or, or some outside connection, find which one of these four areas didn't work 
and see if that makes sense. See if, if, if that fits into one of these categories. Oh, you know what? I didn't take time to understand, or I'm upset because they didn't take time to understand me, whichever one it might be. And I would bet in a majority of these situations is going to fit into one of these things. And once you have that framework of understanding, ah, now I know here's where the problem is. I'm going to build on some of these techniques to use so I can properly address it. And that's another really good segue. How do you, this seems like for somebody listening, they're like, okay, that makes sense. But like, holy shit, like that's a lot of stuff to like think about every time I speak to somebody. So how do you start? How do you like, what's the first step so that you just don't give, give up on, cause like thinking about four things, every time you have a conversation, if you, if it's not natural, um, it can seem very daunting in my opinion. Um, how would you, how would you just start incorporating this? Is it, is there like a, an easy way to sort of check yourself in certain conversations or is this something yeah, you have to sort of dive into? And it, and it will be easy. It will be easy. And, and just like anything, eventually it's going to be, become second nature and you can analyze things as they're happening. For now, take, take a problem that you've experienced and then step away from it and reflect on it once it's over and kind of go back and, and give it a little psychological autopsy and figure out where did it go wrong? What was the problem? And then come back to it and say, hey, Scott, last time I was on your podcast, I felt that it went very, very poorly because I didn't take time to understand what it is you were saying. Or I felt it went very, very poorly because I was delivering my content in a way that seemed to upset you. It didn't seem to sit very well. And, and I want to apologize for that. And now I come back with a different strategy in delivery. So it's okay to do this um, analysis after the fact. But if you keep focusing on this, you become very, very good at it. And you can see where things are going wrong and adapt to that and make those adjustments in real time. And again, if you can do this in a, a professional setting where you have a coach and you have a team to support you, that's when you become very, very powerful because nothing in police negotiation is done like it is in the movie where you have one Kevin Spacey superhero negotiator that's going to knock it all out by himself. It takes a team. So put your ego aside and be willing to accept that coaching, be willing to accept that feedback and work as a team to say, you know, here are the areas that we need to improve on, that I need to improve on, that you need to improve on, and, and be willing to get that feedback. I, I think that's so important and an and area that a lot of us um, have trouble taking in. Um, I like that a lot. I wanted to touch on one more point that um, that I guess can sort of weave in between all of these, all of these subjects. I want to speak about nonverbal communication. Right. Um, so... I'm going to ask, although I, I have my opinion, I think it's very important, but how important is nonverbal communication? Um, and also, actually, let's start with that, because then I just want to understand how to sort of um, read into nonverbal communication clues. So how, how important is nonverbal? Completely important. 100% absolutely everything. And I think people are starting to see that as now we interact with people wearing masks. And this mm. is becoming very common, and I don't like it at all because I can't get enough information. When my boss comes into my office and she's telling me this, this, and this, I can't see her face. I can't see if this is a smile. I can't see if this is a straight line look, if it's a menacing directive. We lose that communication when we can't see each other's faces. So expressions are super important. Body language, super important. And I think that for great communication, it's, it's 
really important to do it face to face. Now, in the police world, I don't like doing face to face when somebody's holding a gun to their head. And I've done that on a couple occasions, but it really puts my safety in jeopardy a little bit. Now, that's not really a problem that you're going to have in the business world. But if you can see and study the, the nonverbals and the, the facial expressions, you're going to be really, really powerful. There, there's a couple leaders in, in the field, uh, Paul Ekman, Joe Navarro, Chase Hughes. I'm actually reading a book right now by Chase Hughes, uh, Hughes the uh, Ellipsis Manual. And he's got 22 different pieces of um, nonverbals that, that we do. And within those, there, each one or a lot of them have subsections of each. So I think for people who aren't reading emotions through um, expressions and through body language, you're missing out in two different areas. First of all, you can't read what somebody else is telling you. And second, you don't know what you're telling the other side. The people who are really good at this, I can make sure that my nonverbals line up with my verbals. And then I become very convincing and very powerful because everything is very consistent. And then when I know how to read this, if, if I see the inconsistencies, then I start to think there's deception here. Mm -hmm. They're not being truthful or they're not being completely open. And when this is in the negotiation context, you could be losing millions and millions of dollars because you missed the, the contempt micro expression. You missed the adjustment in the chair, um, the arms, what are the hands doing? Where are the eyes looking? This is going to cost you so much money. So take the time to read these books, to go to these classes and invest. I think it's absolutely fantastic to study behavior analysis, to study how we can engineer behavior that we want. I think it's absolutely terrific. And, um, and it's everything. It's absolutely everything. And for people who are not on board with this, you're, you're missing, you're missing on time. Now, so great that that's good. Um, but I, we're like for us, we had this entire conversation. We're not on video right now. And I actually, I like doing on video because I can read facial expressions and I'm not a, a master of nonverbal cues by any means, but I do still feel like I, when I, when I'm speaking to someone face to face, it's a little bit easier to be comfortable with them. Like, you know, when we're doing this conversation, when we're having this conversation, we're doing it, you know, over Skype, is there, is there inflections in the voice you can hear? Like when, is there a point where I think there is, but I'm asking you, is there a point where you felt like I was more comfortable speaking to you? Um, is that something that you can pick up on uh, if you spend enough time, even with nonverbal? I, th I think we can, even without seeing each other, just the inflections. Absolutely. It, it happens. And you can probably analyze it in yourself if people don't believe this. I would say just hit the record button and, and record yourself doing the podcast. And I've probably had the same evolution throughout the time that we've been talking here today that, that I've gotten more comfortable and we can all recognize this in, in the inflections and how we say it. So even without seeing it, the pauses, how are we pausing? What, what is emphasized? The rate, the rhythm, the cadence, all of this stuff in the delivery that I spoke about earlier goes a long way in really conveying what it is you want to convey. And I would maybe make the point to say, use all of this to your advantage, because I know where I'm poor in communication. Mm -hmm. One area that I'm really, really bad at is keeping a poker face. My good friends would love to play poker with me because they know they would destroy me. Because when I see something that I like, the smile's coming and it's coming in a big way. I'm happy as can be, and there's no way around it. I'm like a child. I mean, people wonder, you know, how can you function in the professional world when you have no 
control over your smile and, and your emotional state. So I think, you know what, maybe would there be times that it would be beneficial for me, knowing that this is an area that I'm not so good at, to work over the phone with somebody or work over email because I'm going to mask my weakness and use it to my advantage. So it's something to think about in, in the self-understanding and, and giving some thought to where can I protect myself from, from my vulnerabilities? I like that. Now, would you, would you also, though, argue that if you can own your vulnerabilities and they no longer are vulnerabilities, if you, if you just come across as authentic, is that a, is, or is that just like, you know, like uh, wishful thinking? I, yeah, it might be more wishful thinking because I can say, you know what, I'm really, really bad in this area, but I know it. You know, just take, take a baseball analogy. You know, I'm really, really bad at hitting a curveball mm. and I know it, so I'm going to own it. That doesn't make me any better at hitting the curveball. No, I'm still going to need to step up to the plate and get the job done. So to some extent, um, you know, in, in a negotiation and a conversation, there are certain things that you can control, but there's a lot that you cannot. And you don't want someone else to exploit this. And, and I could exploit it in a very polite, friendly, kind way. So you feel, you know, I'm being very respectful of that. But at the same time, I'm going to the well over and over and over again and using this to my complete advantage. And you don't want that. So not, not only should you be aware of it, but go ahead and work on that and work to fix that so you can be even stronger for your next conversation. Good stuff. Um, is there anything that you had discussed in the TEDx talk that you, that you wanted to highlight today that we didn't discuss, sort of like the open floor over to you? I, I think that you, you covered the, the big principles. And for people who are just kind of hearing about this or, or have heard about this and are interested in, in doing this, there's a lot of good literature to read, a lot of good books to read. There's a lot of good videos to watch. But at the end of the day, knowledge is one thing, but putting it into practice and doing it is a whole different ballgame. I was um, very lucky to have completed the Chicago Triathlon uh, a couple of years back. And I was pretty decent at running and pretty decent at biking, but I'm not much of a swimmer other than sitting at the pool with a beer in my hand. So I needed to learn how to swim. So I started by watching Michael Phelps videos. And this dude is awesome. And I saw what he was doing. And in my mind, I'm doing the exact same thing. And I got it down. But then I had to go jump in the pool. So make that step. Take that uncomfortable step of now I need to try this. Now I, I need to put this into practice. And, and it's okay to fail. It's okay to, to not succeed at everything we do, but that's what's going to make you better. So for anyone who says, you know what, this might be a little bit overwhelming to maybe learn the eight uh, skills of active listening and try to use one of these every so often. Yeah, it might not work out. It might not fail. And just because you have the knowledge doesn't mean you're going to be good at it, but don't be afraid. Don't let your fear overwhelm you to the point where you can't function and you're not willing to try because wherever people are at in their journey to negotiation excellence. And I would trust that you have some listeners right now who are way better at this stuff than I am. My hope is that wherever they're at in their journey, that this can add a little bit more value to help them get a little bit better, a little bit smarter, a little bit quicker to have even better outcomes in their negotiations. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think that um, it's something that I think I, I, you know, I'm going to go back and listen to this after it's over and, and take some notes because um, I think I have to be more, again, it's being that self-aware, right? 
And right. I think that uh, I think that a lot of us, you know, just sort of jump into conversations like bull and china shop. And and you mentioned, you know, I prepare the content. Well, I, I do prepare content uh, even for these. And this, I'm just, you know, the the podcast context, not the sales context. Um, I do prepare content. I, I prepare thoroughly, but there's other points that um, could come naturally to some. I think some of this comes naturally to to people that are like are, are gifted, but I don't think it's something that is. Uh, I don't think communication style, effective communication style is something that a lot of people focus on or enough people focus on. In my experience, right. I, I think. And even if they're very good, yeah. no, you can even get better. Yeah. You can even get better. Don't ever get complacent. Very good. Um, a couple, a couple wrap up questions that I like, and you kind of already uh, touched on those, but I always like asking, they're sort of like life lesson insight questions from, you know, the variety of people that I have on. So, you know, I guess one lesson, um, that you would, that you would tell your younger self that sort of helped you get to where you, or would help you, uh, get to where you are quicker or more comfortably, uh, professional, personal, something, uh, something that you tell yourself. I think one of the big things is always prepare for opportunities. We don't know when and where these opportunities are going to come from. But if you are not prepared to step through that door, it doesn't matter if the door is going to open or not if you're not ready to take this step. So always, always work on preparing yourself for wherever it is you want to go to be as great as you want to be, but you have to prepare. We might not have the, the control over when that opportunity is going to come or if it ever comes at all. But when it comes, if you're not ready, that's where you're going to miss. So to have the, the mindset, the growth mindset, to find excellence, to be ready for that opportunity, it could lead to great things. And, and when you have the opportunity, take it. Don't let fear control your decision of, ah, maybe, maybe I'm not ready for it. That, that fear of failure, get, get rid of it and go for it and see what you can do. Was that, uh, was that the conversation you had when you, when you did the TEDx? No, the conversation I had was I was certain it was one of my coworkers messing with me. Like I was like, there, there is no way that that Ted is calling me because I, I wasn't doing this. I mean, outside yeah. of a very limited scope of police training, this is not what I do. I mean, this is not my thing at all. So I was certain like I had a couple people for sure that were in on this, that they're, they're messing with me. They're going to wait for me to get excited. And be like, all right, I'm doing it. And then they were going to let me know. No, we're just messing with you. So so my, my first thought was, you know, th this isn't real. And police have terrific, terrific senses of humor. So I, I just figured it was all just a big joke. I love it. Um, and, uh, and the last question I'd like to ask is, uh, where, where do you go to, to learn? You mentioned some good books. Um, is there anything else, any other outlets, uh, podcasts that you're tuned into right now? Um, other good books? Uh, you know, other mentors uh, that you've that you've listened to that can sort of be agnostic of of industry or, or you know, job title that uh, people should go check out. Yeah, there, there's so many great books that, that I've read and, and so many great leaders right now. I'm, I'm big into um, behavior. So a little bit outside negotiation with Ackman, Navarro, Hughes. That's kind of what I'm really working on right now, because it's uh, there, there's a, a change in, in negotiation from being over the phone to now we can, it's very 3D. So these are skills we have to take on. But in, in negotiation, um, George Kohlreiser, uh, professor of leadership, um, uh, psychologist and negotiator, um, has some really, really good um, 
books and, and videos out there, Hostage at the Table is his book. And I thought that was a, a pretty powerful book that brought in psychology, leadership, and negotiation. Um, I, I was uh, part of his his class, in-person class, not too long ago. Um, you had mentioned Chris Boss. He's he's uh, probably the, the biggest name ambassador right now um, coming out of police negotiation field, crossing into business. He's got some really good stuff, and I'm FBI trained, and he's FBI. So I, I find that um, what I know is very consistent to what he teaches. Um, I, I work with uh, the Schroner Negotiation Institute. They have a lot of great material out there. So take some time, grab a book. It starts with one book, one video, and, and build that interest. And I, I, my negotiation library could keep people busy for the next couple of years. But that's, that's a, a couple of things just to get started. Good. Thank you. Um... And where do where do they uh, where do they go to find you if they want to get in touch or can they get in touch and where are sure, you speaking yeah, next of course. and why and, not yeah yeah and, that, and that's a cool thing um, I'm I'm a police officer I'm not I'm not uh, I don't have a book to sell you I don't even have my own website for you to go and check out uh, I've got a profile on LinkedIn be happy to connect with anybody on LinkedIn I have um, a couple of videos on YouTube my my TED talk is the secrets of hostage negotiators feel free to check that out um, I do corporate training through the Schroner Negotiation Institute, and I'm a professional speaker with the Big Speak um, Speakers Bureau, so you can find me on, on those websites, schroner.com, bigspeak.com. Uh, be happy to connect with um, all of your um, audience and, and all of your connections, and really, I'd be excited to learn from them how they might use this, how they've used this, or ideas that they have on, on how to make this model a little bit better, so I can steal your expertise <laughs> to bring it back into policing so we can turn that around and save lives. That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off. I know a lot of entrepreneurs listen to this show and NetSuite has been a huge supporter for entrepreneurs, for business owners, because there's one thing that we all know. Business is about making money and it's about your bottom line. And the less you spend on the nuts and bolts of running your business, the more profits you keep. But these days, everything is costing more. Supplies, people, shipping. It squeezes your margins. And I've been there juggling multiple systems for finance, inventory, you name it. Each with its own costs and its own set of headaches. That's why I made the switch to NetSuite by Oracle. It's changed our company. Think about it. NetSuite is one of the top financial systems out there. It puts your whole business on one platform, accounting, finance, the works. One data source for everyone. There's no more mismatched info. And because it's in the cloud, it slashes your IT costs. No more servers, no more updates. Just access NetSuite from anywhere. With one integrated suite, your overhead drops big time. And here's the real win. Efficiency. Everything's connected in NetSuite. Costs are ridiculous lately. Find a proven way to reduce your expenses and get better performance out of your team. It's a no-brainer, and that's what NetSuite offers. Over 37,000 companies have figured this out already. You have to join them. Right now, 
through to April 15th. NetSuite's got an incredible, flexible financing plan. Check it out and see the savings yourself at netsuite.com slash scottclary. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information, but Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeletemecom slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story, too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Think back to your last few days in the office. Did any of them leave you feeling really accomplished? Not the kind of day where you're running around like crazy, but where you've made real progress on something that matters. Because being busy doesn't always mean being productive. And I bet you we've all been there. And maybe it's time to rethink what it means to get things done. Today's episode is sponsored by Belay, and what they help you do is, instead of getting sucked into emails and to-do lists, they help you delegate tasks and focus on big goals. They can connect you with top-notch U.S.-based talent who are ready to take on those time-consuming tasks that bog you down. Let's be real. There are way more important things you could be doing than bookkeeping or wrangling a packed inbox. They have virtual assistants to handle all of those pesky administrative tasks or accounting professionals to take care of all your financials. But here's the best part. You don't have to waste weeks searching for the right person. Belay's personalized matching service works quickly, sometimes matching you with the right talent to take stuff off your plate in under a week. Are you ready to try a different way of working? Check out Belay's list of the top 25 things you can delegate to a virtual assistant. It might just change your business and your life. Text SUCCESS, that's S-U-C-C-E-S-S, to 55123 to get the list 
and to start transforming your to-do list with Belay. Thank you so much indeed for sponsoring Success Story. For all business leaders out there, Indeed is a lifesaver. See, we're always driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. You're going to ditch the busy work and you're going to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, messaging, so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. 